catch up. And so we're going to kind of continue in that same vein, going back to 2 Timothy. Uh, we're going to continue there. And uh, we're going to talk about advancing today. It's just the simple title for today's message, Advance. I think the enemy wants us to sit back during this season and just take it easy because we're not quite certain what we're supposed to be doing. But we're, we're supposed to be advancing, even in this what, pandemic or shutdown or whatever you want to call this thing, we're supposed to continue to advance. Yeah. Amen? Yeah. How many of you know that the kingdom of hell is not going to shut down? Yeah. They're, they're not going to take a day off. Neither should the people of God. We need to continue to persevere and go forward. We've got a mission. Three, three things I want to talk about. Troubles, enemies, and mission. We've got troubles, we've got enemies, and we've got a mission that we're going to fulfill. And the troubles and the, and the enemies aren't going to stop us. Amen? And uh, so we're going to read a few passages here in 2 Timothy, uh, beginning in 2 Timothy 3, verse 1. But know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. How many of you recognize we're living in perilous times? I mean, if you listen to the radio or watch the television, every one of us are going to get a coronavirus and about half of us are going to die from it. That's what they're saying. That's kind of how they're projecting this thing, right? Uh, it's, it's doom and gloom. I, I actually saw a junior high friend of mine on Facebook. He, he said that there's, there, this coronavirus is going to take a bunch of us out. Then there are, are two, two viruses on the tail of this that are coming that are basically going to wipe all of hum humanity. has no hope, according to this report that he shared. And he, he fully believes this. He doesn't have the hope that we have in Jesus. He hasn't read the Bible because that's not how it plays out in the Bible, right? But we do know perilous times are coming. Uh, we see what's going on the, 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 politically. All, nation, rising against nation. All these things that Jesus said were going to happen are happening. And we live in perilous times. If you think all that's bad, uh, Hilton, would you put, put that picture up? I want to I show you this. I saw this on Facebook this week. As if it weren't uh, enough to think about all, uh, if there weren't enough to think about these days, now, there is talk of an asteroid supposedly heading directly to Earth just one day before the presidential election. <laughs> that, that, that may actually be good news. <laughs> so, as if we don't have enough to worry about. And then when you think things can't get stranger, look at this. <laughs> I, I was out for dinner Friday evening, and we had a return church life group show up at the restaurant. That, so now you know how they dress when they're not at church. And if you think that's scary, check this out. <laughs> a little bit of humor. We have to laugh or you're going to cry, right? It, it indeed is, is, is perilous times. Know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, Proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Some of the women are thinking I've just described their husband. <laughs> Having a form of godliness, but denying it's a power, and from such turn away. That's a very good description, honestly, of our culture today, isn't it? And it seems like day and day, 
day by day, it's just more and more fitting when it comes to describing our culture and what we're seeing in, in, in the world today. I want to skip down to verse 10, but you have carefully followed my doctrine. Paul, again, talking to Timothy. You have carefully followed my doctrine, my manner of life, my purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, and perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, and out of them, the Lord, out of them all, the Lord delivered me. That's the good news. Amen. We're, we're, we're going to go through some persecutions. We're going to go through some hardships. But how many of you know the Lord's going to deliver us? Amen. He's with us in all of it. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. If you want to be a follower of Christ, if you want to live as he did in this world, you're going to experience persecution. But evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and, de and being deceived. But you must continue in the things which, I have, uh, which you have learned and uh, have been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Amen. Reading on into chapter 4, I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they, have, because they, they turn your, their ears away from the truth, and will, they will be turned aside to fables. This verse right here, verse 5, is really where I want to focus today. But you... Be watchful in all things. Endure afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. So the Apostle Paul is saying to Timothy, look, we're going to suffer some things. That's, that's one of the common themes throughout this book, suffering and persecution. It's mentioned over and over again. I thought about reading every one of these verses, but just for the sake of time, I, I won't do that. But all throughout Timothy, it talks about suffering and persecution. But in the midst of this, he says to be watchful, watchful in all things, to endure the afflictions, endure the persecution, and stay on your mission. Do, do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Amen? And every one of us have a ministry. Maybe it's not evangelism. Maybe it is teaching or pastoring, pastoring shepherding. Maybe you are an evangelist. But whatever it is that God's called you to do, in the midst of persecution, in the midst of troubles, in the midst of coronavirus, in the midst of political upheaval, in the midst of racial wars and tensions, and in the midst of everything that's going on in our world today, we need to stay on our mission. Amen. We need to be, be doing what Christ has called us to do. So we're going to talk this morning about troubles, enemies, and mission. How many of you know we have troubles? 
Job said, More, a man that is born of a woman lives a life that's short and full of trouble. That's a great description. Uh, get, getting to the middle part of my life, 45 years old, and I'm seeing how short life is. I mean, it flies. It seems like yesterday I had newborn kids in their high school, junior high now. It's unbelievable how fast that happens. In seasons of life, they just clip by. Life is short and it's full of trouble. Just when you think you get one problem solved, the next one springs up. There's all kinds of trouble that we experience in this life. But the good news is that the trouble works the purpose of God and it manifests the glory of God in our life. Paul talks about this. I like the King James of this. He says, I reckon. That's how we know Paul was probably from Kentucky or someplace. <laughs> but in, in Romans 8, verse 17, it says, Since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we share in his glory, we must also share in his suffering. Yet, what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory that will be revealed in us. The suffering works for our good. All things, he would later say in this, this chapter, work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purposes. It works for our good. I hate coronavirus. I hate it with everything that's in me. I hate wearing masks with everything that's in me. But there's a purpose of God in this, and we need to see it. Amen? I hate the things that are going on in our world. I hate prejudice and racism. I hate the political uh, combat that's going on in our nation. I hate it. I wish our leaders could work together for the good of this nation. But there's power struggle. I hate. But ultimately, none of that is going to stop the plan of God. His purpose is going to be manifest in this earth. The Apostle Paul suffered some things. I didn't get this to our media team in, in time, but I just want to read a passage. It's 2 Corinthians. Write it down because it won't be on the overhead or turn your Bible there. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 through uh, 28. Listen to what Paul went through. He said, he said all, all these servants of Christ, I know I sound like a madman, but I have served far more than them. I have worked harder, been put in prison more often, been whipped times without number and faced death again and again. Five times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and a day adrift at sea. I have traveled on many long journeys. I faced danger from rivers and robbers. I faced danger from my own people, the Jews as well as from the Gentiles. I face dangers in the cities, in the deserts, and on the seas. I have faced danger from men who claim to be believers but are not. I have worked hard and long, enduring many sleepless nights. I've been hungry and thirsty, and I've often gone without food. I shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. Then besides all of this, I have the daily burden of my concerns for all of the churches." You thought you've had a rough week. I don't think any of, you, any of us have been through anything like the things that Paul suffered for the gospel. You think about that. And he's writing to Timothy. 
and encouraging this young pastor. I've been persecuted. You're going to experience persecution. But stay on course. Be watchful in all things. Endure these afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Second, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17, now you think of all the things that I just said that Paul suffered. And in this passage of Scripture, he calls them light afflictions. I mean, beaten three times with 39 stripes, beaten with rods, stoned, shipwrecked, and he calls them light afflictions. And we're whining about masks. We're whining about washing our hands. We're, we're whining because the politicians don't do the things that, that we want them to do as a church. They're, they're, they're minuscule struggles that we're experiencing now. I believe that in the days to come, these are going to intensify. I, I believe we will see more and more difficulties. But Paul calls these things that we, we experience in this lifetime are momentary light afflictions. And it's, he says it's producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. So we do not focus on what is seen. Don't focus on the masks. Don't focus on the statistics. Don't focus on the hate and the rage. Don't focus on the fact that, uh, that politicians are rising against politicians. Don't focus on any of these things. Don't focus on what you can see, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. We've got to change, church, our focus. Amen? We've got to begin to focus on, on eternal things. We've got to begin to focus on the kingdom of God. We have a mission to fulfill, and we can't let any of these light momentary afflictions take us off course. We've got to stay on the mission that God, and we have spiritual enemies that manifest in human form as well, that oppose the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we've got enemies but we need to remember, we, I want to re remind you of this, Ephesians 6 and 12, that we're not wrestling against flesh and blood. Listen, our battle is not against the Democrats or the Republicans or the Independents or uh, this, this uh, group or that group, Blue Lives or Black Lives or that. Th those are not the battles we need to be engaging in. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. We've got to remember that we have a spiritual enemy. They're, they're principalities, powers, the rulers of darkness of this age against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. It is the sum of the spiritual forces of darkness that are coming against the church. We've got to remember that is our true enemy. And the person that is persecuting you, the boss that won't allow you to pray, the coworker that chides you because of your faith, those men and women are not truly our enemies. Men who are trying to advance political enemies, uh, political agendas, they truly are not our enemies. There are spiritual forces working behind the scenes. That's where our real enemy is. My hope is that those politicians that are doing wicked things would be saved, that they would come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, that their eyes would be open to the light, that those who persecute the church, that they would come to know the salvation and the deliverance that we know. That needs to be our prayer. Jesus set an example for us. When the Roman soldiers were putting those nails in his hands, when they jabbed the spear in his side, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. While they were doing it, 
He did not see those Roman soldiers as enemies. He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Stephen, the martyr, the same thing. When he was being stoned, he prayed and he said, Lord, I'm, I'm coming to you. Receive my soul. And he said, lay not this sin to their charge. Church, can we forgive our enemies? Can we realize that it's not the flesh and blood that we're striving against? It is the spiritual forces behind it. There's not a man on planet earth that we ought to view as an enemy. We've, we've got to learn to take, turn our enemies into our friends. It's time to make peace with our enemies. It's time to make peace with our enemies. And especially in the church. You're mad at the sound man. You're mad at the soloist who stole your song. You're mad at the guy who cut you off. You're mad at the guy that disrespected you 20 years ago. You're mad at this, that, and the other, the people that are sitting in this room and you're upset with them. It's time to make peace with our enemies. Listen, we've got greater battles to fight. If, if that's the, the battle that you're choosing to fight, you're defeated before you even get to the war. We've got to move on beyond the petty, beyond the striving, beyond unforgiveness, beyond holding things in our call. Somebody said that chickens and humans are the only uh, two beings that God created with a crawl. Said chickens hold food in their crawl and humans hold unforgiveness in their crawl. We hold a grudge. We've got to forgive. We've got to love our enemies. Paul taught us how to treat our enemies. That brother and sister that's in this room that's agitating you, even now as I speak, this is how you need to respond to them. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. All men. Every churchgoer. The boss who doesn't like your faith. The family member that has mocked you. If it's possible, as much as depends on you. And see, it puts the burden right on us. They're going to do what they do. Let them keep on doing it. But as much as it is with you, be at peace with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If they took advantage of you 25 years ago and you can't get over it, it's time to get a casserole out. It's time to invite them to your house. It's time to take them to dinner after church. It's going to be very interesting to see who invites me out for dinner this, this afternoon. Who did I offend last week? <laughs> Cook for the people who have offended you, who have mistreated you, who have misused you, who have taken advantage of your kindness, who have overlooked you. Cook for them. Feed them. Let that marinate for just a minute. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire 
on his head. This is the best revenge. <laughs> now I'm going to tell you what, your life is going to be transformed when you learn to give vengeance to God Amen. and stop trying to get it for yourself. That soul sickness you've been experiencing is going to just d dissipate and go away. This is the best kind of revenge you can ever get. Do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. When your boss mistreats him, just go on and keep becoming the best employee he's ever had. This is the way that Paul teaches that we should be dealing with our enemies. Inside the church, outside the church, we need to go on to maturity. This is a place of maturity that the Lord calls us to. This is, this is the life that he modeled for us on the cross when he was being crucified. He was being put to death and he, he forgave the men that were murdering him. That's why he, he has a, a whole lot of authority when he stands and teaches the concept, turn the other cheek. If somebody smacks you, turn the other cheek. Jesus lived this thing out. He's got a, a, a whole level of authority because of that. He is the ultimate model of this. He could have shot him down with lightning bolts if he had wanted to. He could have overthrown every single one of them if he wanted to. But he showed us the way of God, the ultimate demonstration of forgiveness. This is what God's calling us to do. David suffered some... some, some uh, trouble and, and persecution. In, in Psalm 94, he talks about, he says, unless the Lord had helped me, I would soon have settled in, in the silence of the grave. I cried out, I am slipping, but your unfailing love, O oh God, supported me. When doubt fills my mind, your comfort gave me renewed hope and cheer. Can unjust, and man, we, we, we need that right now. In, in this dark pit of despair that our, our nation today is in, we need that hope. We need that comfort. We need to experience the love of God. When you experience the love of God, truly experience the love of God, the comfort of God, the peace of God, it is impossible to hold unforgiveness, anger, resentment, bitterness. It's impossible. We need to experience this, church. Can unjust leaders claim that God is on their side? Leaders whose decrees permit injustice they gang up against the righteous and condemn the innocent to death. But the Lord is my fortress. My God is a mighty rock where I hide. God will turn the, the sins of evil people back on them. He will destroy them for their sins. The Lord our God will destroy them. David was a man who had been persecuted, but he knew how to trust that with God, to give vengeance to God. You think about that. You think about when he was, uh, Saul sought David's life. He, he threw javelins and spears at him. He hunted him down, and David lived in the caves with his, with his, his, uh, his renegade crew. And when opportunity was given for him to sneak up on Saul, he could have murdered Saul and gotten vengeance. What did he do? He cut the corner of his garment, and then he, he was, listen, I, David at this point in his life, I believe, was such at a humble point. God had humbled him, and God was doing a work in David that when he cut the corner of Saul's garment off, his heart was smitten within him. He was sorry for what he had done. This man was trying to murder him, and his heart was grieved that he had cut the corner of his garment off. You think of that. David was a man who had fully entrusted his life to God. 
And he said, if vengeance is going to come, I'm going to allow God to bring it. That's the way we as Christians need to learn to live. I'm going to kind of turn here to, to, I've talked a little bit about troubles. I've talked about persecution. I want to, I want to turn to our mission for just a second. I want, to, I want to begin to talk about advancing because I believe the Lord wants us to advance. I wish that we could see ourselves the way that the Lord sees us. Solomon got a vision of his bride. In Solomon chapter 6, verse 10, and he, when, he, when he saw his bride, he said this, Who is she who comes forth as the morning, fair as the moon, clear as the sun, awesome as an army with banners? Solomon is describing his bride here. I recently, when we went back to Minnesota two weeks ago, uh, performed a wedding for some friends of ours, uh, Zach and Sarah Jane now, Juzak now. Zach and SJ. And when SJ came, it was an outdoor wedding, and she came out of the church and began to walk down that aisle through the crowd, the face, the, the look on Zach's face was magnificent. I've got a picture of that. Can we put that up there? Zach could barely contain himself, he almost collapsed. Because he got a vision of his bride. Who is she who comes forth? Clear as the morning, fair as the sun. I'm sorry, I'm messing it up here. She goes forth as the morning, fair as the moon, clear as the sun, and awesome as an army with banners. You know what, church? That's the way that God looks at us. The Lord loves us. I believe there are times and moments when the Lord is overwhelmed when he considers us. Overwhelmed in his love. We are his creation. The workmanship of his hand. He loved us that when we had messed everything up and when we had rebelled against him, when we had lied with his enemy, he loved us so much that he robed himself in flesh and come and lived amongst us for 33 years and died on a cross, suffered an anguishing death, the, 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 the most uh, cruel death that crucifixion literally means cruelty. You think of that. He endured that for you, for me. He loves us more than that young man loves his beautiful bride. And when, when Solomon sees this, this woman, his bride, and he makes this statement, it, it's a glimpse. I, I believe the Song of Solomon, is, it, it, it's, a, it's a view of this, this groom's love for his wife. And I believe it's a description of the Lord's love for his church. We are his bride I remember something the pastor said to me one time. I, I was concerned about the behavior of, of a pastor, and I was talking to, I was getting counsel from a pastor friend of mine on how I should handle a situation. And he said, Brother, Brother Chad, don't worry about it. You don't have to handle this. He, said, he, he, called me, he calls me Bro Chad. Randy Green is a big six foot six guy. He said, Bro Chad, if you mess with Brenda, Brenda's his wife, 
you're going to have to answer to me. And if you mess with the, 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 the Lord's bride, you're going to have to answer to him. So, Brother Chad, you, you don't worry about it. You let the Lord take care of his church. The Lord loves his church. We have enemies and adversaries, but the Lord is going to get vengeance. Every one of our enemies, every one of our adversaries is going to be destroyed. Church, what we need to do is we need to get a perspective of how the Lord views us. He views us coming forth as the morning, as clear as the moon, as fair as the sun, and as awesome as an army with banners. When the Lord looks at us, he sees an army with banners. We feel wimpy. We feel defeated. We feel like we've been overrun by the coronavirus and by this political movement, by that, and by economic downturn. Did I forget to mention that we're, um, we're now pr printing monopoly money that we'll never be able to pay back and inflation's going to hit? Did I mention all these crises and things that are coming? But guess what? In the midst of all that, the Lord sees us as a mighty army, and his plan is not set off course by any of these things that are happening around us. Amen? His kingdom is going to advance. His purposes are going to go forth, and we need to realize that, and we need to keep moving forward with the, the plans and the purposes that God has set in order. Amen? Church, I want to tell you this, that there has never been a greater opportunity in our lifetime for the American church to advance. Oh, but the world's going to fall apart. And Joe Biden's going to be our president. Or Donald Trump's going to be our president. It's, a, it's horrible. Doom and gloom. Our nation's done. Maybe so. But guess what? The purposes of God aren't done. No matter what happens politically, the purposes of God are going to keep going. No matter what happens with viruses, the purposes of God keep going. Man. You know, you know what a big part... A big part of our problem is, is our short-sightedness. We suffer from a myopia. We're, we're not very good at seeing perspective properly. We think that we are the first generation to ever experience a pandemic or a plague. Let me just really briefly give you a little bit of history. In, 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 in 100, 165 AD, the plague of uh, Galen, or the Antonian plague as it, it's known, it was likely smallpox or measles brought to the Roman Empire by soldiers who were returning from the Near East. The church endured that, folks. Just about, I think, I think it killed a fourth, if I'm not mistaken, a fourth of the Roman Empire. And the church, you know what happened? They stood up and they advanced. The church grew through the Antonin um, plague. In 249, the third century, that's the second century. Now in the third century, fast forward less than 100 years to 249 AD, the, the plague of Cy uh, Cyprian. Uh, it, it's, it's uncertain, but this is thought to be either smallpox, influenza, or a virus. Both the threat of imminent death from the plague and the unwavering conviction among many of the Christian clergy in the face of this plague won many converts to the faith. 
Church historians grow, uh, attribute the great growth of the church in the second and third centuries to these plagues. You know why? Because the church stood up and advanced. They went out into, in the midst of the plague and they ministered to those who were sick and afflicted and when, when, when the pagans were abandoning them. And because of that, you know what happened? The church of Jesus Christ saw one of its greatest seasons of growth in the history of the church. Martin Luther saw a plague during his lifetime, the, the church reformer. In 1665, there was the great plague of London. And in the midst of this, the Puritans ministered to the sick. And many souls were won to the kingdom because of this. In 1854, there was a, a chlorea outbreak in, in, in England. 2,000 people were dying every single day. Charles Spurgeon, a young pastor who had just assumed the leadership of a church, he, can't, he was in demand. They were calling him to come all over the nation and preach. He canceled all of those engagements, stayed home, pastored his church, and went from door to door praying for the sick. Listen, listen to what Charles Spurgeon said. This is a quote from Charles Spurgeon during this time. He said, the environment of this plague has done nothing to destroy us. It has only done things to reveal us. Amen? I believe the same thing can be said about this coronavirus. It has done nothing to destroy us. It has only done things to reveal us. Amen? You know what, son? It has revealed some of our weakness. It's revealed some of our apathy. It's revealed some of our problems and some of the things that we haven't been doing very well. But I believe it's also revealing to us as a church who we are in Christ Jesus and what really matters in this life, that sports isn't really important and entertainment isn't really important and climbing the vocational ladder is not really what's important, but the things of the kingdom are what really mattered and we are built for a season such as this. God has called us to the kingdom for a purpose in this season. He placed us on planet earth during 2020 and you think, man, I didn't think 2020 was gonna be like this. Guess what? God saw it. He foreknew what this day was going to be like. And he placed this church right in the midst of 2020. And he's called us to stand up and stand out and continue to advance with the purpose of Jesus Christ. Amen. Like a herd of rhinos, we're going full steam ahead, full bore. We're not going to be stopped. We're not going to be set back. We're going to continue to advance. This is the greatest season that the church has ever experienced. And it is time for us to advance. We must advance. We must go forward. We must continue to do the work that God's called us to do. I was determined at the onset of this. I, I was covering for Pastor Kurt Juzak in Minnesota when this coronavirus thing began to break out. At first, I thought it was, a, when I first heard about it, I thought it was a virus that's over there. Right? We hear about those on the news all the time. This is January and February, and it was a virus over there. It probably will never reach the shores of America. And then it slowly began to come in. And then I heard, okay, it's in this state, it's in that state, it's in Seattle. Dozens of senior citizens dying in a care home in Seattle. I thought, okay, well, it's there, but our government's going to control this thing. They're not going to let this break out. Guess what? It had already broke out. And then in the March... When I heard about churches talking about closing, I said, you know what, there's no way we're gonna close. We're gonna keep going. We're gonna keep the doors open. 
Then on a Sunday, all the big churches in town closed their doors. And I said, you know, we're, we're going to continue to have church. We're working with our elder team. We're going to continue to have church. And we had a Sunday when everybody else was there closed. But then I began to realize, you know what? Maybe we better do something here. This is getting pretty serious. So we, we called in a meeting with our elders and our leaders in the church, and we began to make plans. What are we going to do? How are we going to handle this? We're, we're not going to have church this coming Sunday. We're going to shut down, we thought, for a couple weeks. And we began to make that strategy and set it in place. But I'll tell you what, we had to make concessions. We had to. But i tell you what our determination as a leadership team was. This is not going to set us back as a church. We are not just going to sit at home on the couch while this thing's going on. We are going to become more engaged than we have ever been through this crisis. We developed a nine-point strategy. We, 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 social media. We, we did it. I did a daily devotional Monday through Friday at 11 a.m. where I, I taught the word of God and prayed with people. For, we did that for a month. All, all these things we were going to do. And we knew that we had some seniors in our church that didn't even have computers. And so we, we made sure we, we, we broke our, we divided our, uh, our mailing list up. And we, we distributed that through our eldership team. And we called through the entire church directory and checked on everybody to see how they were doing. How, how's your health? Do you have food? Do you have toilet paper? It was during the toilet paper crisis. <laughs> then we began to look for needs in our community. We, we found a, a, um, a retirement center that the, the, the residents were locked in. They couldn't go out because of the coronavirus and their family couldn't get to a lot of them. And so they were running out of groceries. And so we, we did a food drive. We had food delivered to the church and we took a van load of food to this, this retirement center. What, what's the point? We determined that we weren't going to just sit back. We were going to go forward. We were going to advance. And I believe that in the, in the midst of adversity, that's the way the church should always respond. Yes, we have to be wise. We, we need to take the medical precautions that, 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 that we know will, will help to mitigate spread, so on and so forth. But I'm not going to let that dominate my life. I'm not going to let that to set me back and to bring fear into my heart and keep me from doing what, what the Lord wants me to do. No, we're going to keep going forward. I found a lot of inspiration here in 2 Timothy over the last month. There, there are four things that just, and, and I'm sure there are other themes throughout this book. There are four themes, things that pop up over and over throughout this book. Suffering. American theology doesn't do very well with suffering. We need to realize we're, we're going to have some hardships. We're going to go through things. We're going to endure things. We, we don't come to the altar and get saved, get filled with God's spirit, and then we ride around on a cloud carried by the angels. That's not how it goes. We need a warrior's mentality. We need to buck up. We need to endure. We need to persevere. We need to overcome. We need to strive towards the purposes of God in spite of what we're going through. Persecution is going to come. That's the second theme that I see throughout this. But there are, are two things that really stood out to me that I think are critical for us believers. I talked about one last week. It's being filled with the Spirit of God. Paul reminds Timothy of this over and over again, the Spirit of God that resides in him. Stir up that gift. We are a people of the Spirit. And this, this fourth theme is the word of God. We are a people of God's word. 
And here's, I, I believe, what, and I'm going to wrap up with this. I'm going to ask my wife to come to the piano. I want to wrap up with this word. I, I believe this is a word for us out of Joshua chapter 1. Beginning in verse 7, it says, Only be strong and very courageous, that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. It's a very similar admonition that in the passage that we read earlier that Paul gives to Timothy, right? Preach the word. Rebuke, correct, exhort. Stay with the word. Remember the scriptures you've learned from your youth. This is all throughout this book. He's reminding him about the word of God. The spirit of God and the word of God. Verse 8 says, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and of a good courage. Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Be strong and of a good courage. He tells them this twice in this passage. Be strong and of a good courage. That courage is not something that we, again, that we have to muster up, that we have to fake, that we have to... This, this is a, a, a courage, I think it can best be described as veracity. It's a firm hold on the truth. Do you know why the firefighter runs into those buildings that are burning? They don't stand out of the uh, fire trucks and hype each other up. Come on, we're going to do this. Let's go in that building. Yeah, come. Hoo, hoo, ah, ah. They don't have to have a pep rally before they run into those burning buildings. Do you know where the courage to run in those buildings comes from? It comes from their training. They have read the textbooks. They have watched videos of, of what happens during a fire, what happens to structures during fires. They learn the signs to look for when those buildings are burning. What, what's happening with the roof? What's happening? Where, where's the fire coming from? Where, they, they, can, they know when they look at a building if it's safe to go in or not. They know their equipment. They've been trained. They've been put in those situations. They, they have those facilities. They light them on fire. They practice in those facilities. They're taught techniques that will keep them safe. And that gives them, a, their, their training gives them a courage that you or I probably wouldn't have to go inside that building. This is what the angel of the Lord is saying to Joshua. Get a hold of the word. Get a hold of the book. Meditate on this day and night. The writer in Hebrews said we need to have our senses trained, talking about by, by the word of God, to discern good and evil so that we can be mature. Those firefighters are trained to a point of maturity where they have a courage that the average citizen doesn't have. So they'll go and put themselves in situations that ordinarily most people wouldn't go into. Folks, if we'll get acquainted with the word of God, there is a training, there is a maturity that will come to us that will cause us to advance when other people retreat. Now, I've talked about this here before, but God gave Saul a word. I will deliver your enemies into your hand. But Saul stood trembling underneath a pomegranate tree. 
with his soldiers. There were, there were 3,000 soldiers in the camp with, with Saul and Jonathan. And the, the military might of the Philistines was 30,000 chariots, 3,000 horsemen. And the Bible says an, an army that was as innumerable as the sand by the seashore. For Saul, who was in command, refused to go and attack the enemy because he was afraid. He was looking at what he could see with his eyes and not believing what God had said. But Jonathan held on to what God said. He turns to his armor bearer and says, the Lord has said he's gonna deliver our enemy into our hand. Maybe we should go and attack. And his armor bearer says to him, whatever's in your heart to do, do it, I'm with you. And they go out into that valley and expose themselves to the enemy. And he says to his armor bearer, if they tell us to come up, we know that the Lord is on our side and he's going to deliver them into our hands. And guess what happened? The enemy said, come up. And the Bible said he climbed up that hill on his hands and knees. What in the world was he doing on his hands and knees? He was advancing like a crash. He was going forward. He was doing, sometimes the only thing you can do is get down on your hands and knees and keep going forward. But it's what he had to do to be obedient to what God had told him to do. And he got up on, on that, that uh, plateau where his enemy was at. They began to fight. And you know what happened? The Lord joined the fight. God got involved. God joined uh, Jonathan's fight. If you'll become a warrior for God, God will become a warrior for you. That's a reality. Jonathan moved with God and then God moved with Jonathan. If you'll move in obedience to what God has said, God will move with you. That's reality. That's a truth. I've got a, a, one more scripture in Isaiah. Isaiah 42, 13, the Lord will go forth like a warrior. He will arouse his zeal. I'm sorry, he will arouse his zeal like a man of war. He will utter a shout, yes. He will raise a war cry. He will prevail against his enemies. Church, we've got to advance. We are in a battle. And we've got to move forward. There are days when all you can do is hold ground. But advancing is not optional. We've got to keep moving forward. Church, I want to encourage you. It is time for you to begin to rise up and do what God has put into your heart. I, I felt a release. There, there, there's, God put word in my heart that I felt like I could not preach. I felt the Holy Spirit restraining me from preaching. But the Holy Spirit is saying to me now, in this season, it's time to begin to ad admonish God's people, to provoke God's people, to, to, to encourage God's people, to say things that are going to provoke God's people, things that may rub people the wrong way sometimes, but it's going to put them in a place where I want them to be. My wife says this all the time. Uh, sometimes we have to say things that offend the flesh so the spirit can live. Right? There's some, and we need to be wise enough. There are times when we don't need to say those things when we're declaring God's word. Because it's just going to offend people, bruise people. 
but there is a right season, and I believe this is a right season, that some, some hard things need to come to us as a church because some things need to change. We, God wants to reposition us. God wants us to advance. God wants us to go forward. And so there are some challenging things. I believe that in the days to come, God is going to speak to us, and God's going to put us in some uncomfortable positions and situations. We, we don't know. There's uncertainty. There's situations. But we've, all, we, we've got to hear the voice of God and obey it. It's that easy. Church, it's time to, to advance. Get plugged in. Find your ministry in the church. Find a mission out in the, in the world. Your workplace, your school, your neighborhood, your family reunion. Find somewhere where you can lead people to Jesus. The people that resisted before are going to be ready to receive today. You've tried before and they turned you down. They mocked you. They walked away from you. It's time to try again. Because of what's going on in this day. It's time to begin to speak to them again. Invite them to church again. Tell them to, about Jesus again. Tell them your testimony again. Tell them about the goodness of God. Tell them about how he delivered you. Tell them about how he has set you free. It's time to begin to witness like you have not witnessed in a long, long time. It's time to advance. The church is in the greatest position that it has been in our lifetimes for advancing in America today. I believe that with everything that's on the inside of me. There is absolutely no hope in politics for the United States of America. No hope, period. I don't care who your candidate is, there's no hope in him. America needs awakening. America needs revival. America needs prayer meetings. America needs the preaching of the word of God. America needs evangelism. America needs discipleship. America needs a renewing. America needs an outpouring of God's spirit. America needs the church to stop rejecting one another, to come together in unity, to forgive one another, to move one another. Listen, you know what? We're white, we're black, and we're one body. We're not rejecting anybody. We're on the same team, amen? We're in a powerful position. We're in a powerful position. Just in this building, there, there are British people, there are South Americans, there are New Zealanders, there, there are Australians, there are Mexicans. We're all together, the body of Christ. The politicians can't do that. They are dividing over race. They're dividing this nation. The church of Jesus Christ can unite. That's where the power is. That's the hope that we need. That's the hope that this world needs. It's the church of Jesus Christ. Amen? We're the hope of this world. We're the hope. If America has any hope, we are the hope. Church, let's stand together.